And welcome everyone to another Smart Money Circle update. I'm Adam Sarhan. With me today is Max Wasserman, who's the co-founder of Miramar Capital with approximately $550 million in assets under management and the senior portfolio manager there. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Max, I always like to ask, can you tell us a little about your story and how you got to be where you are today? Oh, wow. You know, I'm one of those who knew what he wanted to do since he was a little kid. In nice. fact, my if my number one desire in life was take over the Federal Reserve. I know it sounds crazy. Since I was like 10 years of age, <laughs> I was raised by a father who was very strong in studying economics, everything. So my goal in life was be chairman of the Federal Reserve. Love it. And if I couldn't do that, I wanted to run all the money in the world since a little kid. Nice. So, you know, when I went to college, you know, I graduated always the wrong time. In fact, nobody will have the worst schedule graduation period than me. So I graduated with my undergraduate degree from University of South Florida in 1987, okay. market crash, right? Tried to get a job on Wall Street. They weren't hiring anyone, right? right? Then, you know, I went to work for a freedom savings and loan, a bank, and I used to do workout loans. And I got a graduate degree, an MBA, University of Miami, in 89 in South Florida. Now, back then, unemployment was like 12, 13%. Junk bond market was a disaster, mm -hmm. right? Everybody was laying off. And I was fortunate enough to get a job as an analyst with one of the big six accounting for eight at back then, a firm called Laventhal and Horwath, which wow. I worked for like one year as a valuation specialist, really just valuating companies. And they went under right around Thanksgiving, you know, happy Thanksgiving, oh, no. you're unemployed. And then I got picked up by another firm, another accounting firm doing um, mergers and acquisitions in healthcare, okay. doing research, feasibility studies, all that. And then I said, you know, I got to manage money and I, I got, you know, it's in my blood. So I took a job like at Shearson Lehman Brothers, got taken over. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm dating myself and did that for a few years and was a broker. And I go, wait a second. This is not what I signed up to do. I don't want to be right. cold calling people. Yeah. And literally, uh, I told my wife, I said, this isn't it. This isn't for me. I want to be a research analyst, money manager. Back to what I was doing before even valuations. So we flipped the coin, believe it or not, between New York because I trained in New York, or Chicago, I'm a big Cubs fan, flipped the coin, and it turned out Chicago, we moved up here, uh, I got a job as a research analyst, uh, junior money manager for a small money management firm, did that for five years, writing research reports on energy, staples, those type of things, and managing institutional and individual money, mm -hmm. and then after that, went to work at a large bank as their senior portfolio manager, research analyst, did that for like eight years, uh, wanted to launch my own firm and again, didn't work out timing and then worked for like some brokerage houses for a couple of years. And then round oh, around 08, was going to launch a firm with a group of guys who had all their money tied up in like Merrill stock at the time. They lost it. Oh, no. So no, ended up going to another major brokerage house for nine years, doing discretionary asset management, running. Same thing I've been doing for all those years. Met my partner because our daughters played in the same basketball team. Nice. Yeah, you know, at the at a Jewish day school. Yeah. And we had talked left and right about, you know, what do you do? You know, we want to have family camps together. And one day we we're watching basketball and he goes, What are you doing? I said, I'm gonna launch my own investment firm. He goes, Well, I have a, a smaller uh Bob Kalman is my partner. I have a small money management firm. Oh, nice. And I, I want to expand it and I want to take it over. And it go bigger. And I said, well, I'm looking to start my own. And I've had opportunities to become a you know, partner at firms uh, run, but I was never good at running money with other people. You know, it's like, it's gotta be one chef in the kitchen, if you will. 
And so my partner and I talked for years. And then when we decided we were going to launch Miramar Capital, which is five years old, a little five years now, we decided, you know, we went through every piece of our personalities and talk about, you know, I see that I mentioned to you earlier, your psychological analysis. We did a complete psychological analysis of him and myself and what's Love our it. personality really like. Love How do we view money? I People look, I think, wrong. I mean, we look at, you know, what your family life, what your value systems are. How do you view money, right? Uh, personally, how do you take it? And we had the same idea, same approach. So we said, you know what? We can make this really happen. Uh, in fact, when we were looking at the name of firms, we said, let's keep our names out of it. Mm -hmm. Egos out of it. Yeah. We want a name. Uh, and then the name of Miramar Capital, he was in Cuba and there's a community called Miramar. I was a big fan of Top Gun. Nice. Back. Yeah, and course. they went to yeah. Miramar. Right. I have some nephews who went to Miramar, actually. Nice. So I said, I like the name for security safety. He nice. likes it from Ocean View. Nice. And we said, Miramar is the name. Nice. Right. Yeah. So we created the firm. We launched it. You know, again, we're very conservative dividend growth managers. We build individual stocks, bonds and all that. But our philosophy was, it's always been, and since I've been doing this since my early 20s, I'm dating myself, but always buying individual companies, always buying individual bonds. We don't outsource things because we do all the homework ourselves. I mean, that's mm -hmm. how I was trained. I mean, I was trained under Benjamin Graham style of investing. Nice. When I was in school, everything yeah. was like, what are you doing? And along the way, uh, and I actually, and that's to promote you, but I'm telling you, psychological investing, how people view money has become more and more of a part, I would say, in the last 20 years to make us better money managers. 100%. Because it, for us, you have the quantitative side. I mean, I've done spreadsheets to blue in my face, tell you right. valuations. But I realized, and my partner realized, we got to look at how we view money as a firm and what we could tolerate. And I'm very risk adverse. As much as I like to do risk, it's just not my nature. You know, I yep. can't stand losing money. Yeah. And neither could he, which made a good partnership. So that's really, we, we joined the firm. We had the same philosophy, how we look at it, how we build um, an equal partnership. And, you know, you got to really trust and respect. And, you know, we grew the firm. We started with the firm with about 150, 160 million in assets five years ago. And we've been able to really grow. We've been fortunate, have an incredible staff. Um, we have other portfolio managers work with us. So it, it, we've been very blessed, truly love blessed it. here. I love I love the story. So what I yeah, say actually in the book is I talk about the relationship with money. So you're saying how you yeah. view money. I just, you yeah. know, it's the same concept, same principle. Same thing. Um, yeah, looking for the yeah. relationship. I love that. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about here. So let's talk about your investment strategy a little bit, Max, if you don't mind. Um, you said value and dividend growth. Talk a little about that if you don't mind. I think most people follow too much of Wall Street jargon. Yeah. But if you look back in time since the 1920s, almost 40 to 50% of the S&P's total return is dividends, right? And nobody can successfully time the market. And again, I grew up in valuation analysis where companies fundamentals, and I'm a big believer in dividends, mm -hmm. right? I don't believe companies are good asset allocators sometimes of their own capital. Right. So I want to get the cash back. So, you know, we look for companies that are valued properly, their strong dividend philosophy. They gotta actually have a dividend philosophy. They're not just pay dividends, but how they're approached to earnings. So what we do is we look for companies, sectors that are enriched shareholder value. Because okay. again, you can go through periods of time when the market makes nothing. But if I get paid to wait, 
right? Then yeah. while I'm waiting, I'm looking for companies to give me cash flow now that I can reinvest, I can live off of. And in our portfolios, you know, we have targets. We want companies that are growing dividends five to 10% on average, mm -hmm. right? We try to target the portfolio with about a 3% dividend yield with okay. a five to 10% dividend growth. And we, we're concentrated. We have about anywhere from 25 to 32 names in the portfolio. And on the bond side, we do, we do a lot of duration analysis and not to get too technical, but we look at what our view on interest rates are going to be. And mm -hmm. then we try to, we pick an, uh, a time frame we want to target. And again, we do for bonds, we do investment grade only. And okay. Right. We are, I would call the very plain vanilla. We want you to sleep at night. So we'll, we never want to see a client open up the newspaper and say, oh my, did I get invested in that? So we're not quick money. We're yep. very slow and steady. And our philosophy is based on the fact is anyone can make money in a rising market. Everybody's a genius. Yep. You know, the old day you could throw darts at the board, but yeah. real talent is how you do in down markets and sideways markets. Right. And that's where we add a ton of value is in yeah. that area. Again, we focus a lot. We do research calls. I mean, we listen to companies' transcripts. We, we do it all, right? Yep. Uh, bonds, we actually know what we have. So we don't outsource the money. So when we look at an investment, we have the number one thing is understand what we're investing, right? Okay. Most people don't. And we have to like it. I mean, we have to like the business. So we spend a lot of time just getting to know businesses, how they make money, how the expenses are. And then we construct a portfolio based on valuation of the company, the dividend prospects, where we see the economic outlook. But our philosophy, I, I call it, it's very simple. We're, we are not rocket scientists. I'll leave the rocket scientists for NASA. And I usually find that most people who try to make their investing strategy, you know, you got to come to us. We're so sophisticated. Right, it's right. Because they don't understand it themselves, right? I mean, yeah. So I yeah, we're, we're old time money managers and you don't find a lot of that today. No, I love that. And I love what you said. Everyone's a genius in the bull market because you're just yes. doing dogs. And yeah. Okay. So let's talk about risk, Max. How do you handle risk and what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management? Well, the first I have to say, define risk, mm -hmm. right? So we try to define what risk is. There's a difference between risk of losing money and there's a difference in volatility, mm -hmm. right? Volatility of a portfolio we're not concerned about. Okay. Markets go up and down. An event in Europe can happen in Asia, which it always does. Politics, strategies. But we're looking for risk of loss of capital, real loss of capital, not right. short-term loss. But are they going to cut a dividend? Is there, are these bonds not going to be paid? or something fundamentally gonna take this company out, right? Are the product lines really self-defeating? I mean, because most technology companies, for example, have to be put out of business every three to five years because something better comes along. So right. they're constantly reinventing themselves. So we define risk that way. Also, we say, what can you handle emotionally? So there's right. an emotional time to risk, which people don't, like risk is all relative to the investor, right? right. Volatility, I find volatility most people can handle if they understand what they're invested in. Risk is like, I have no clue what I'm doing. The market's going down. I'm gonna lose all my money. And they become sort of like irrational and yeah. they make decisions that way. So to us, risk, we do it first by controlling what we invest in. Again, we're conservatives, we're looking for dividend growth. We wanna make sure we get cash. Only investment grade bonds. We don't reach, we don't go into sectors that we're not confident on. We don't go into areas of esoteric. We don't touch the, the Bitcoins. We don't touch, we're not commodity traders. So that can get rid of a lot of risk. And then we we work with our clients. Like, what is your time frame? Mm -hmm. You'd be amazed at how many people don't even know how to sit down. When do you need the money? 
right? <laughs> so, yeah. right. And what are your age? What, you, what are you looking to accomplish? When you do all that upfront work, you risk is mitigating. Right. And then we can show up by the obvious asset allocation. What's the appropriate? But I would tell people they got to look at asset allocation in terms of their time frame, right? Because okay. if I'm going to be 30 years, let's say I'm 70, right? And I don't need this money. Right. I, I don't need it. I have enough money for the kids. I have everything or it's going to stay. Your inflation, right? longevity risk, right? Yeah. Risk may not be the portfolio, but your time frame. Do you have enough money? Because people are living longer. Right. So we have to really qualify what is the risk per client. And then what we do when we run the portfolio, we keep in mind all those issues. So, but we stay, the first rule is know what you're doing. Like know what you're investing in, know the time frame, know what you can handle, right? And an emotional, and each client's different. For us, you know, I don't look, I don't get into risky investments. I don't, I don't, we don't have a risky investment in the portfolio. Right. I have stocks that are volatile. I have bonds that can be volatile, but I don't consider them risky. Risk to me is not being able to keep up with my long-term goals, trying to achieve it. If I'm not matching my objective, right, with what I need to have, that's the risk to me. No, I love that. So it's so, a little bit different than most people look at risk. Yeah, most people enter and they exit with stops or, you know, enter, you know, I don't want to risk this yeah, much for no. position. Yeah, you don't, you're looking at investing in the business. It's almost like infinity investing where you're looking to invest long-term. Uh, right. Yeah, okay, got it. But um, I'm also keeping the short term, you know, we got to beat the benchmarks, we know all that. Uh, and the risk of, you know, I, we don't have the fear of, of missing out. You know, you've heard that. FOMO, uh, yeah. Where a lot of people, the market's running, right? And we, as conservative, there's a lot of times I'm sitting there waving at the, at the market, you know, because I'm yeah. sitting there with a the conservative portfolio and the NASDAQ's gone crazy. But I'm like, that's okay. We know what's, we think we know what's going to happen. So we look at risk from that perspective. Again, a lot of time upfront trying to understand of why you're investing. You know, what's the purpose of your investment? No, I love that. So let's shift a little bit of the conversation, Max, and talk about some timeless lessons you'd like to share with the audience, please. Oh, wow, timeless lessons. Those yeah, are now we can have great. some fun. Yeah. Okay, so one of the lessons, uh, in terms of investing or just financial lessons in life? Not even financial, both, like all three. Financial okay, lessons, sure. life lessons, investing lessons, anything you want to share with the please and thank you. We'll take it all. Right. Yeah. Sure. So I'm going to go with my number one thing is know thyself. Yeah. Right. Know what you can truly handle, not what your neighbor can handle, not what your friends are doing. What is your personality? How mm -hmm. do you view money? Right. Yeah. It's, is it an unhealthy relationship? Is it not a good relationship? And so I, I start with that. Like as much as I would like to be a risk taker, it's not my personality. I right. just I go crazy losing money. Yeah. Like I can have volatility, but you won't see me at a crap table. It just, it won't happen. You know, right. I might play the poker because it's long diligent, you know, it's different, but I cannot, I can't stand it. So most yeah. people I tell the young people is one is try to think long-term, mm -hmm. right? That's number one, which is hard because you're like in your twenties and thirties, you know, but if you think more long-term plant your seeds now, right? So I always tell, I was a big seed planter, if you will, because yeah. I came from no money. So when I started making money, I had a rule of thumb. Whenever I got a promotion, I made more money. I made sure I, I never increased my standard of living too nice. much. So I always save. So yeah. if let's say I got a, a let's just say a ten thousand dollar bonus, right? Yeah. I would always keep twenty five hundred, almost five thousand, you know, half of it in savings. Yeah. Then I take another quarter, pay down debt, and a quarter maybe to splurge, right? Yeah. But I always pay myself. 
And I always make sure that I kept planning for tomorrow and take advantage of Einstein's greatest, you know, common compound interest, compound. right? And I would say, and I was convinced, <laughs> and I still tell young people now, I can make you a millionaire when you're young, if you just plant your seeds and let time do the rest, right? right? By right. the time you're 60, 70, that money will compound, keep adding to it. So number one is I, I tell people, know thyself. Second is start investing as early as you can. Yeah, I love right? that. So speaking about Another, that, have, sure. sorry, before we go further, I just want to jump sure. in for a second. We talk about parents and, and investing early. What do you recommend? And you mentioned your daughter. Uh, what do you recommend for parents with younger kids? How do they get started for the kids and give them a real good head start? Well, you know, it, it depends. Not, it, it depends on the tax issue. But I'm a big fan. I have daughters that are in college, right? Mm -hmm. But I make sure they work, right, when they can, and they yep. save. And Got they it. understand the value of money. Then I actually, I say, start a Roth IRA. Roth IRA, got it. And yeah. then for people you know, with minors? because uh, uh, Well, for that? minors, I, I taught my daughters, again, I mean, just because I'm in the business, I taught them what investing was. And what got I mean it. by that, I say, you want to come do work with me on a Sunday? Yeah. And what we did is I used to take them to, let's say, I'll give you an example. I used to take them to Walmart, Target, nice. right, and Costco. Yeah. And I say, we're not buying one thing. Right. And you're with me all Sunday. Yeah. So we would go and I say, look at the cars that are in the parking lot. Lines. Look at, yeah. then go, right? I would yeah. say, look at different demographics. I want to go to the, see what they're buying. Like right. what's in the basket. I would go and stare at the electronics department. What are they putting in there? Right. Yeah. You know, learn to observe, right? Watch and learn and start realizing. And I never, I never talked to stop. I just no. say, look at people's buying habits. Look at this. Then when I went back after a day, I mean, again, taking six, seven hours of yeah. and not buying, this is not an easy right. thing, Yeah, especially for me, I want to buy. But they would learn, I taught them and I taught them how to look at things. Like, and then I say, okay, let's, I'll give you a few dollars. Let's buy a stock. Mm -hmm. What do you like? And they'll mm -hmm. say, what do you recommend? I say, nope, it's not my money. Yeah. It's, it's what are you going to do? But I'd make them learn it. And right. I would, right. And, you know, Disney is always a popular one that they give kids. Yeah. Um, but today's kids are different. I want Apple. I want this. Right. Say, Tell me how they make money. Right. right. Tell me what they do. So I would teach my miners the value of money, how hard mm -hmm. it is to earn yep. and, and what it means to lose money. Right? Got it. So if you can start teaching values to your kids young. So miners, I don't keep them away from it. Right. Yeah. Don't make it taboo and let them teach me your philosophy. I Most parents don't want to teach their kids their relationship with money. How do you view money? Yeah. So I try to teach kids my view of money. Yeah. Like, what does it mean for me? I put myself and my wife through college, right? right? No, I mean, we had no help. I hear you. No, I know. But, I understand. Yeah. Do you understand it? So I teach them what money means to me. What does it mean not to be able to pay your rent? <clears throat> try to teach them the value of it and because it's hard to make sometimes. Yeah. But if you save it, it will be there for you when you need it. So at minors, I tell the biggest thing is teach them the value of money love and it. then relate it to it. That's what I do for minors. I love it. Thank you. Okay. So you were going to bring up another point. So, you know, as they get older, mm -hmm. right? Um, again, know thyself. I, I, I can't, I can't tell so you powerful. most people make the worst decisions yep. based on media or the emotions at the time. Mm -hmm. So the value that I learned really young is don't get emotional, which is very hard. Yeah. Very hard for people. Right. Super. But understand why you bought something, why you're doing it and realize that you, you can lose money. Right. Yeah. But realize the value of it. So I really 
I, I can't even stress how important it is for professional money managers. They get caught up on day-to-day stuff. They, oh, what do you think the market's going to do in the next three to six months? I, I can't tell doesn't you. Matter. It's a Ouija board. I don't care. Right? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. So I try to teach and I would tell everybody, learn the money and learn your relationship to it and then invest. And don't be afraid to learn. Mm-hmm. The number one thing is learn, right? Know your, grow your area of competency. I mean, Warren Buffett, Buffett made yeah. a great thing. And yeah. again, he was a Benjamin Graham guy as well. So we, we fall under that school. Literally, I would take a circle. It sounds crazy. And I used to put type of industries that I could understand. Nice. Right? Like, I'm not going to understand, you know, some of these microbiologies, these new drugs. Okay. Um, some of these esoteric technologies. I'm not going to understand it. I need to keep it simple and stupid for me. Right. And by the way, it's helped us and I still do it. Do you know what you're buying and why you're buying it? And then I teach savings to people. And again, pay yourself. So every time you increase your standard of living, pay yourself and don't go into a lot of debt. Right. uh, I had a, a friend of mine taught me a valuable lesson in my 30s, which he articulated much better than I ever did. You can't go broke if you don't owe anybody money. Right. Right. So I was like, so powerful. I mean, that's, I, mean, I was like, that's brilliant. I mean, I never, you know, it's true. So that means, you know, don't, if you can't pay cash, I know it sounds crazy, um, pay yeah. cash yeah. or you can't pay that monthly credit card bill. Don't do it. Don't buy it. You yeah. can't afford it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I learned a really valuable lesson about who has money and who doesn't. And that affected me. I was in graduate school at a business conference, you know, for your, your MBA graduates, uh, you know, lunch and you know, those things where they sit yes. around, they have yep. CEOs come in. So we had a CEO of a writer company. Um, we had a Burger King guy. Everybody's wearing their Rolexes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're dressed in the nines. And next to me, next to me was this guy. And what I would call those old Sears blue suits, you know, those bright blue suits. 100%. Nobody wears those things. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's sitting next to me, older gentleman. And I'm like, yeah, I'm with all these captains. Of these companies. Guy, yeah. and, right. and who's this schlubby guy yeah. and i'm looking and i'm thinking you know, yeah president of my graduate business i'm thinking you know big shot but who's this guy so i asked the guy next to me he goes good thing you're asking me that was the founder of burger king wow. and all of these guys he helped place on their ceo position wow. so everybody's listening to this guy this guy had more money than all of them put together right and i learned a valuable lesson that way don't judge a book by its cover right so true so true. And then my second big lesson I learned about not judging, I was visiting a friend's aunt in New York City. And she was coming, you know, World Trade Center. So the intelligent time. And he says, my aunt went to visit her. She has like a co-op in New York City. And if you know anything about co-ops, it's like yeah, the most valuable piece of property. Yeah. And he says, she's loaded. That was his, I mean, she's like, this is like the 80s. She's worth at least $15 million. Wow. Yeah. I said, well, who is she is? I'm expecting like Gucci or something. She said, no, she looks like a bag lady. Yeah. No, no. Comes out of the thing. I couldn't tell her. We go to her house and she's recycling aluminum. You know, wow. aluminum like foil. Yeah. Like foil. use it, reuse it. I'm like, how is this possible? But when we went with her to the bank, the bank manager gets up behind his desk, walks into the lobby and greets her. I said, wait a second. Okay. What is this thing, right? What is this? Right. So the point being is you don't have to show it, just earn it, make it, and that will do the talking. Yeah. So younger people in their 20s, 30s, and want the BMWs and want all the things to show mm-hmm. they have wealth. I say, save your money. And guess what? People, if you want them to know you have money, which I don't think is a good idea in the beginning, 
Seriously. is saving. So I yeah. tell everybody, save like there's no tomorrow. Don't owe anybody in debt is mm-hmm. a big key thing. And, and plan for what if, right? Yeah. I mean, I always tell people to have at least on a personal note, I say, I like people to have at least three to six months of cash mm-hmm. on hand. You know, it could be anything, but that's, you know, you have a savings, save up to three to six months in case you lose your job. Yep. And then after that, you start investing. Yep. Got it. Everything else goes to investing constantly, consistently, even if it's a couple of dollars. Doesn't matter. Plow it in there. And your pennies become dollars. Your dollars become 50s, 50s become hundreds. The rest is history. I love it. So yeah, what do you, see? I love the emotional part. One of the core principles of my book, I and mean, we just met today, but it's a, yeah, it's, I know. It's, 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 a yeah. lot of parallels there is to remove the emotion from the decision-making process. Cause I study the smart money, hence the smart money circle. Right. I'm fascinated with success and winning and you don't get a six pack by accident, right? You don't become no. a billionaire by accident. You no, don't become no, no. that late, your, your friend's aunt by accident. But if you no. do those certain things, you get the flatter stomach, you get the six pack, you accumulate the wealth. That's exactly right. It's a process. It's a process, process. yeah. So, okay, I love that. We've talked about timeless uh, lessons. Some, what's that you haven't mentioned? What's one or two timeless mistakes you see people make besides not knowing themselves or making emotional decisions? Oh, yeah. This my number one is you get caught up in the crowd. Yeah, they get up caught in the crowd. You know, and everybody like, and everybody likes. I forget the term. You have to forgive me. Uh, But there's a term everybody likes to be with the crowd. Like if everybody's going. Oh, it works. you like, everybody wants to buy in a rising market, right? Yeah. Oh my God. You know, they only want to tell the nice stories, right? right. I, to me, when I start an investment, I don't look at how much I can make. I look at how much I can lose. Right. That's my first decision. Because yeah, if the too. market's good, it's going to go up. Exactly. But mo- yeah. But most people just look at, look at everything incorrectly. Uh, the timely mistakes is they zig when they shouldn't. They just zag. So right. they always make des- uh, decisions when they're emotional. The worst time to do it. When the markets are doing real bad, I know it's going to sound, I mean, my clients love, they hate when I say it, but they love it in the long term. I love when the market goes down. I love everybody being negative. I, right. I Please, because I'm paying less for it. Of course. Right? Yeah. I want, listen, if I buy something at 100 and at the real price is 110, it could go down a lot more. But if I can buy that same thing at, let's say, 70, 60. So I like to go against the crowd, Right. So I say, don't follow whatever the TV's telling you or the market thing. Don't follow. That's number one. And number two, again, if you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. then you'll make a more emotional decision. The more you understand what you're investing in, the yeah. less you'll care about the headlines. I love right? that. I mean, 08 yeah. was an example. Internet internet in, in 2000 uh, was actually, believe it or not, was a good, good year for us. Oh, wow. uh, and my partner, when he had his firm, me, when I was running money, because we didn't buy the internet. I didn't understand half this stuff. Cab right. drivers were telling me the greatest stock idea. And everybody was doing it. I had right. friends who left their regular jobs to go investing. And then they lost all their money. They um, so, yeah. So don't do what everybody else is doing. Doing what you know, what you're mm-hmm. comfortable. Stay with it and always learn. And remember, I always say, you're not as smart as you think you are at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you're not as dumb as you feel at 11 in the morning. And by two or three, if you walk away, you're like pretty good shape. You've had a good day. Never, yeah, never, that. never think you're so pretty and never think you're so dumb. Right. So if the powerful. market is an emotional, like an EKG machine. Right. Don't get caught up in that. Really know what you're doing. And that will help you make a lot less bad decisions. I mean, because people make the worst decisions. They sell at the wrong time. Yep. Right. I mean, if you go back in, if you go back in 09, people yep. sold in the March. And then the market just took off. 
right? Yeah, no, I get that 100%. And then everybody's also looking for like affirmation that they're smart. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you have to know. Like that's a really, really good point, Max. Wow, that's a really good point. Everybody like, they want yeah. to know, see, let me tell you how smart I am, right? I made this investment. As soon as people wow. tell me that, I know they're not investing, right? I love that. I want to, is... If you want to say, what if I make a mistake? Oh, I sold this too early. You know what? I, I made a mistake and I did that. But people always like to brag about yeah. their successes. No, I love that. this doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work that, that, that way. That's, that's a home run. I love that. So, okay, let's peel the onion back a little bit. Your research sure. and valuation and, and analysis and analyst kind of guy. Let's talk about how you value companies. People listening, you say, okay, you should know what you've owned. You've mentioned that many times today on the show. How do you know what you own? How do you make those determinations, whether it's a good company and not a good company, good valuation, good price, circle of competence, start with that, of course. And then let's talk about individual stocks. Let's get down. I'll get down a little nitty gritty. So again, we're dividend investors. So we're looking, I'm trying to target a portfolio for, these are just the the characteristics that we look at. So we're targeting about a 3% overall dividend yield in the portfolio. We try not to buy companies that have under a 2% or 1.5% dividend yield to start with. So that's going to limit it, right? Yeah. Then we're going to look through the sectors. You know, We don't like any one sector too much of a weight, more than 30% in our portfolio, nor do we want one position more than 6 or 7% of the overall. Now, yeah. again, we own about, let's say about 30 names on average. Okay. So when you sift through the universe, we have a view of what the economy, our view for the next two, three, four years of the economy looks like, what the Fed's going to do. And we start looking at companies. And let's say we come across it and we like a company. Then we want to search the industry. Who are their competitors? Mm. And I haven't touched the finance. What, what is their strength? What is their weaknesses? How are they going to handle for the full economic cycle? Not for the next three, six months, but what if things go bad? Is this right. a good management team? Right. Um, are they paying out all their capital? So, right. And that's, by the way, a very big thing you're starting to see now where a lot of companies are cutting their dividends right. because everybody was a genius when interest rates were zero. Of course. Now when they refinance with the debt higher and they leverage their books, they can't afford the dividends, right? right. They just can't do it. Right. So we're looking for companies like that. So once we narrow down, we have a company, we look at the sector, we like the sector. Now we're going to say is what is its valuation? Valuation via PE price to sales, whether it's price to book, depending on the company. We want to look at what's the value of the company now. What's its history of itself over the last five years, seven years, how it's typically valued itself. Like, is it normally trained at 15 times earnings? What's the range that the market's willing to pay for this company over a full economic? Right. What's their competitors trading at? Okay. What the industries can trade at? And what is it relative now to the overall market? So if the market's trained at 20 and the market stock is trained at 15, maybe the index, you know, their industry is at 16. I'm trying to pinpoint, you're not throwing darts, right? When you do valuations, it's a relative. You're trying to get a range. Mm -hmm. What is this thing approximately worth, right? Are they buying back their shares? Are they issuing more? Is it a company that's acquiring better earnings by acquiring other companies, right? You're truly trying to get down to the nitty gritty. What kind of debt, right? What's a debt structure? Like Mm -hmm. that's very important to us. How much debt is being refinanced in the next three to six months, three years? And because if interest rates are going up, they have to refinance at a higher rate. Right. So once we get that, we have a valuation target. Let's just say we don't want to pay more than a market multiple. Let's say it's 18 times, right? Okay, right. Does this company trade above the market usually or below right. in a multiple? Right. So we try to find that trading range for that. Look at the earnings per share, real earnings per share, mm-hmm. not the manipulated earnings per share. Right. And then we go further. I want to see the cash flow. 
And that goes back to how the company makes money. I want to see, I want to see it's like a little snake deal. I want to see how the money flows through that income statement, the cash flow. How does it really end up at the bottom line? Got it. Because that tells me a lot about the company. So once we have a valuation, once we do that, and my partner and I beat the ideas to death. Good. Now, obnoxiously beat it to death. Even once I've made a decision, he's made a decision. <clears throat> I still got to come back and say, okay, I'm an idiot. What, where am I missing? Yeah. Right? So I've really got to turn it around every time. What's my risk reward? And then when we start a, a position, we have a target of how much we want to own of it. So let's say we want to own three to 4% of it in our portfolio. Yeah. We'll dollar cost average into it. Got we'll it. buy like a percent. We'll add to it at certain prices that we think is a fair price. And then we're looking to build a position, if you will, yeah. right? Over a period of time. And so us, when the market goes down, that's how we were able, that's why I root for it because I know I want the company. So, but we really fine point out what's the multiple I'm willing to pay for this company relative to the industry, relative to the general market, uh, how sensitive it is to change to economic cycles. You got to go all that, but there's no like, I don't say anything 15 times earnings that it's a range. So you yeah. get a little range for everything. And then we construct the portfolio. Again, diversified healthcare, technology, um, staples, energy, which yep. ones we don't, sectors we don't like. Currently, as a dividend growth investor, we really don't own any utility stocks. Yeah. That surprises most. We're in just, we don't like it. It's too much debt for us. Yeah. And then we look at their tax implications. I mean, for dividends, we yep. like qualified dividends because we like the lower tax rate. Most right. people, when they buy REITs, for example, don't realize it's all ordinary income and it's right. a higher tax. Right. Uh, we're very, Tax conscious, you know, for a lot of our clients, our turnover tends to be about 30% of the portfolio. And that includes trimming a part of stock. We take that on account. And so that's how we do it. But we really get down to understand it. I listen to the research calls. You know, if I'm not on it, I read the transcripts. Mm -hmm. uh, my partner and I beat it to death. And then we oh. go, once we make a decision, then I like, we talk all the time. I mean, like, except for Friday night Shabbos, we don't talk. Yeah. Every, and we talk. All the time we go, do you really want to do this right. to the point where it's obnoxious? Yeah, but no, it's money. That. It's our it's our money, our clients' money. And for us, we invest with our clients. Like I eat on my own cooking. The same 30 stocks that say my clients have, I own. Good. Right. So yeah, cool. I feel the pain. It's right there. Right. So that's Love very it. important to us. Okay, so let's talk. Thank you for that explanation because people are going to ask or they'll comment afterwards. Oh, what does he mean by this? So thank you for that. And then the next question I'm going to anticipate here and ask you is how do you know when your thesis is broken or busted or wrong? Let's say you find the stock, you really like it, checks all the boxes you just mentioned, right. and then it just doesn't go your way or it keeps going straight down or, or, or yes. what, what criteria you look for? Oh, uh, well, it, it, there's a couple. One is what was the reason you bought it? You know, I gotta, I gotta go back to that. Um, it happened to us a little bit of energy there. You know, mm -hmm. we bought a pipeline company. I'm not going to mention the names, but, and then financing and the stock went, and this is, and this, doesn't happen often, but this was a brutal gut check. Stock was trained in the 60s. And when the markets were, you know, when they had the energy problem, the debt, the stock went all the way down to like $17, $18. Oh, wow. Knew the pipeline company. We knew the debt structure. It was great, but it was a sympathetic of the market. You know, mm -hmm. everything was going down. Of course, yeah. Right. So we said to ourselves, you know what? Uh, we're buying more. We're buying more. And we stuck with it. And now it's back to $70 a share uh, a couple of years later. So we're really happy. But there are times when we this thesis will change. We did when COVID hit. Yeah. My criteria was, um, and my partner's criteria was, you had to be open. 
So meaning your stores had to be open. So he would drive around when he could drive around. Yeah. And our investments, okay, we had investments. Starbucks was open. Got okay, it. Fine. A Walgreens, a grocery store was open. That's Got great. Anything that, was, that wasn't open, we were like, our thesis has changed. We don't know it. We got to get out. We'll yeah. wait. But let's double up on the ones we know. So if the economic situation changes and the adverse effect is so dramatic on the company, that will tell us. Got Unfortunately, it. that and price don't always go hand in hand. Hand in hand, right. Right. So sometimes you're waiting for something to tell you or you don't. And that's happened. And you just say, you know what? It's changing. The price is dropping. What are we missing? And if we can't figure out what's missing and we're not 100% committed to the stock, then we'll go. Got it. If, I, if we can't get our hands around it, um, you know, we owned retail, um, a lot of retail apparel at one point. Some, and when everything was happening, we got out of a few because new management, Europe was having a problem. Turned out right. great because not to mention the company, they cut the dividend. The stock has been half. We made a little money, but we got out of time. Got but it. if the economic environment changes, that would be one. Two, management changes. Got it. We hate that. Yeah. Because whenever management comes, they, they, they throw everything in the kitchen sink. You don't know strategy. Or if the dividend policy, the rate of change and the increases in dividends start declining dramatically, that tells us something. That's 100%. an indication. Early indication is if you're starting to see a company that grows their dividends 5 to 10%, now they'll give you 1 to 2, 3, there's a problem. Yeah. So the stock it. may not reflect it, but you know it. Yeah. Debt margins are getting out of control. Payout yeah. ratios are out of That would tell us. Get so there's the way. quantitative one. So payout ratio, debt, a dividend growth going down is quantitative. Qualitative is economic environments changing their sectors, their technologies, competitions eating their lunch. That's more qualitative. No, this is fantastic. Thank you so much, Max. And then the final question I want to ask you today is what's the best piece of advice you'd like to share with the audience or your 20-year-old self or 30-year-old self? Oh, wow. I'm, I, I love the concept to pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, live under your means, Yeah. right? I always tell the young people, live under your means. Meaning if you make like 100,000, we'll throw that out. Live like you make 60 or 70. Right. And save the Live, live under your means instead of whether they're like 120,000 when you make 100. Right. Yeah. And the same thing when you're, I would say for playing retirement, I would tell people, you know, risk is, believe it or not, is you outlive your money, mm -hmm. right? So the objective, you know, people say, I'm never going to live to this age. That's emotional speaking. Be objective about your time frame, your risk tolerance. But I tell young people, instead of buying that extra, you know, you know, phone that you really don't need, put the money in the bank because then you'll be able to buy five phones. Right. Right. I, I, I compound strong investing over 20, 30. I mean, think about it. and here's one last thing for retired people. I tell them you've worked and made good money, let's say for 20 years, like right that 20s, let's say you're 40s to your 60s but your retirement could be twice that in time frame right so right you you only made money for this period of time and now you want it to last that period of time right you've got to save yeah. and that's you know an un underspend is a great thing love it love it love it well max thank you so much what is the best thank way you to get in touch with you uh, uh yeah it's uh, you know our website you know is miramarcap.com Okay. It's a great thing. I mean, we have the, and we have videos that they talk about dividend and all that. Um, but I'm going to ask a favor. I wouldn't mind a side copy of your book. Sure. Uh, absolutely. I, I definitely love will. That. I, yeah. That'd be I fantastic. Because, uh, you know, again, we just met, but yeah. I believe we're on the same page of how a hundred percent. Yeah. I'll, I'll, after I'll stop recording and I'll get your information and send it out to you. I appreciate it.
Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank everybody, you. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for watching, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you.